let me take you back a bit and set the stage for what I want to do this week. Today, what I do, want to do is shift gears in our conversation a little bit about what we've been talking about. So if you've missed the last three weeks, feel free to check out our website online, rockywesleyan.org.au, and you can catch up the last three weeks of our Desire More series. Um, so let me go back before we go forward today. We started out this whole series by talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. Um, it's not an, he's not an it or a thing, but he is the person of God. And um, you remember me drawing up the Father above us, Jesus beside us, and the Holy Spirit is in us. Um, and so he is, he is God in us. And the next two weeks that followed, we shared about the Holy, how the Holy Spirit changes you internally. Um, now, not like um, uh, all brand or something like that, but spiritually we change inside of us. And, um, and what the Holy Spirit does to empower you and clothe you in righteousness. And the Holy Spirit empowers us is <coughs> to live a new life. That's what he does. And so we have God the Father created you. It is God the Son who gave his life to forgive you. And it is the Holy Spirit who empowers you to live above and beyond that which you used to be once that was once had a hold over you. So the things that used to trap us and, and imprison us, we now have the ability to live above that because of the Holy Spirit in us. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He, he empowers us. He changes us. And today, as I said, I want to shift gears a bit because the Holy Spirit does more than just clean us up. Um, now, don't get upset. Cleaning up is a big job. And it is a lifelong job. The Holy Spirit is going to continue to work in your life and continue to shape you, continue to mould you. Um, but the Holy Spirit does more than that. And let, let me put it this way. If we stop at what the first three weeks spoke about, um, what the Holy Spirit does in us, we become so spiritually minded that we are of no earthly good. Okay? Now... For some of us, you might go, I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm, I'm happy to come along to church on Sunday and have all the spiritual discussions and, and debates and I want to pray long prayers. I want to be spiritually minded, but it doesn't make any impact in the world. Um, and the, the problem is if you do that, unfortunately, what I describe when I use that phrase, there is a large percentage of peop, uh, people who go to church, not just here but everywhere, that focus on um, or have the mindset that coming to church is to make themselves better, completely focus on the Holy Spirit, cleaning them up week after week. Now, it's like having a classic car. It would, be good to, it would have been good to ask Greg Covington if he was here this morning. Because like you have a classic car, one of these cars you've done up, you park it in your garage and the only time you take the cover off is to polish it again. Um, and then you put the cover back on and you never do anything with it. It doesn't, you don't take kids to school in it, you don't take it to do your grocery shopping because anyone could touch it there. And, um, and that's how some spirit people see their spiritual lives. They somehow, um, God has created us and redeemed us to park us in the garage and cover us up. Um, and only to uncover us on a, every Sunday to polish us up a little bit. You see, that's some of us live that way. Like I come to church to to get a reboot, a, a refresh. I, I get my, my my mindset for the next week because coming to church is about me. Now again, remember the Holy Spirit is doing that cleaning up work. I'm not saying because if you did it the opposite way, if you ignore the first three weeks, 
and just go, oh, I want to do some good. There are plenty of churches out there like that, and what happens is they forget God in that mix. And so when they go out to do good in the world, they're actually lacking the transformation power of the Holy Spirit in their own lives, but also in the work that they're doing. So the first three weeks are necessary, but God is wanting to take us further than that. And that's why I want to be taking a step further today. Um, because we are not just here to be sit and be polished every Sunday. Um, that's not what we've been created for. That's not what we've been saved for. And that's not um, a God's plan for our lives. So <laughs> what we talk about um, is this. We want to talk about being spiritually gifted. So that's when we're talking about spiritual gifts today. Um, and, and so I want you to turn to your neighbour and say, you are gifted. Okay, I'm just, I'm just trying to see if any head, any head swell or anything in that. Like, um, some people are actually spending too long on the conversation. So bring it back to me now. So, Greg, you're not that gifted. Bring it down a bit. So, um, but, but the thing is, the truth is that we are all gifted. Um, that, the Bible is really clear about that. And I want you to grab your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, Alison has read the first seven verses, but we're going to be sort of camping in that chapter today, so we're going to be going through it quite a bit. Um, now, in the book of Corinthians, in the middle section, we see um, chapters 12 to 14. Paulie, Paul really gets into what the Holy Spirit can and wants to do in our lives, how the Holy Spirit decides to move us and to use us. And it's very interesting as we look at this section in chapter 12, we look at, we're looking at today, Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit and what they are. In chapter 14, he talks about how many of those gifts should be used. But in the middle, what we find is chapter 13, which is commonly known as the love chapter, isn't it? Like we, it's, it's pulled out of context and because it sounds really good at a wedding. But Paul has actually put these three chapters together for a reason. Chapter 13 is right in the middle of these three chapters. Now, God has empowered you to, to, to great things. And, and in chapter 12, God will allow you to do great things in chapter 14. But you must do it all in the context of love, which is chapter 13. So all these chapters go together. So <coughs> jumping now into uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Um, so now about these gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And that's probably a starting problem for maybe, maybe for some of us here, but many across the Christian church is that a lot of us are uninformed that the Holy Spirit has gifted us at all. I've met people who've come to church and been coming to church all their lives and they've got years under their belt, like, and they're going, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know how God wants to use me. And I'm going, you've lived 40 years as a Christian. And you don't know how you, that you are even gifted. And so, like, so this first verse is Paul saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. I'm picking up in verse two. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by God, by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, what he means by that, that last little bit, um, is it's not just about the words. No, not just about the words, Jesus is Lord. Um, it is about, but it's more than that no one can understand the Lordship or the Messiahship of Christ without the Holy Spirit. Um, without the leadership and guidance, the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit in your lives, it will never dawn on you that you even need Jesus in your life. So saying Jesus is Lord and believing it in your heart 
is the centerpiece of salvation. So when you put that together, what you understand is that the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you and enables you to realize that you need Jesus to be Lord in the first place. So you see that the Holy Spirit's influence in us, even coming to the point of salvation, is, is, is quite high. Picking up in verse 4, there are different gifts, different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of um, service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. I want to I teach you three things today, and I want to give you sort of an overarching perspective to view those things. And that's, and that's how we're going to go through it today. So the first one is, you are gifted by the Spirit. You are gifted by the Spirit. Um, and, and so, now for some of you, when that might, what I've just said might give you everything you need this week because you've walked in here today and you're believing that you are useless, believing that you have no gift, that you have no purpose. But, but listen to me here. To believe that God did not gift you is to believe that God is evil and not good. Now, now you say, what now? Let, let me lay it out for you this way. God created you, right? Who believes that? God created you. Um, he created you for a purpose. Everyone okay with that? Okay, we're sort of getting some nods, like maybe some people are frozen in a position. Um, but yeah, he created you for a purpose. Now, but if, if you believe that God has not gifted you, this next statement becomes true. But because if God's created you for a purpose and but did not give you the gifts to accomplish that purpose, that is not a good God. That is an evil God. But you see that God is not evil. God is good. So therefore, God created you for a purpose. God made you for a reason. Are we, we are in agreement to this? Hey? So someone, someone wants to take over this morning. So I've got competition. Um, but the thing is, um, but the thing is, we are, we are created for a purpose and God has skilled you and gifted you to accomplish the very thing that you were made for. The reason this is important to understand is, is that when you look at any situation or opportunity and you say, I can't do that, but you know that God has called you to it, know this, there is no mountain that God has called you to climb that God has not given you the equipment to see it accomplished. Has everyone felt like that in their life, that they feel that they're called to do something, but at the same time they go, I could never do that? Has anyone ever felt that or is this probably me? Okay, so just just me, like everyone else is, anytime God has asked them, you've just jumped at it. You've just, you've grabbed them by the bull by the horns and just, you've been obedient every time. Okay, so we've got a few head shakes now, but, but the thing is, there are times that I've felt like, oh God, I can't do this and therefore I won't. But God is still calling me to do it and dragging me and so sometimes there, I will fight God and sometimes unfortunately I win that fight and go, God no, there's not a chance and I walk away. Fortunately, there's been plenty of times I've been able to say yes to God and go, God, I don't know how this is going to happen, but you've got to make it possible. And God has done exactly that. God, God will, if he's called us to something, he will give us the equipment to do it. And this is awesome because often we face mountains that seem completely impassable, whether it's for us as individuals or time when it is for us as a church. But they're not impassable. They just look that way when the Holy Spirit is going to gift us and empower us to get through that. So even as a church, there may be times we go, how are we going to move forward this way? 
we've got to trust the Holy Spirit is calling us that way. So jumping into verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, it says here, for the common good. It doesn't say for your own good. It doesn't say for your own needs. It doesn't say for your own importance, your own glory. Now, I've heard the gifts of the, um, the Spirit preached um, many times over the years in different denominations, different churches, and often it's preached in such a way it is for your own good. But this is not what Paul has said, and he repeats this idea throughout the chapter. So let's keep going. Uh, verse 8. To, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, uh, to one a message of knowledge um, by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to a, another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I know, I'm just going to pause there for a, a, a quick moment. Um, I know there was times when I was, I was a lot younger that when you'd be doing those spiritual gifts tests, you'd almost go, I know which ones I want. This is the ones I want because these, these come across as more important and I'll be more special because I have those gifts. I'm going to be talking about that a little bit later, but the thing is, it's the Holy Spirit who decides. It's not like Santa Claus where you go, okay, here's my list. Something in the top ten, please, God. No, no. God, in his infinite wisdom, knows what I need, knows what I need in, this, in the midst of the context I'm found. So in, in this church, in this place, God knows exactly how to gift me and to gift others around me so that we can accomplish the work of God together. He knows what he's doing. Um, and so picking up in verse 12, just as a body... Though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now here's the second thing I want you, you need to know today. One, you are gifted by the Holy Spirit. And now you are connected to God's people. You are connected to God's people. And by the same Spirit that's empowering you and gifting you, He is connecting you. The Holy Spirit is taking all those who receive the blood of Christ for their salvation and He's empowering them and gifting them to play a particular role in the body of Christ, which is the church. He connects us all together. You were baptized in the blood of Christ and that is what unifies us and the Holy Spirit draws all those pieces together and empowers them in different ways and at different times so the body of Christ might function as a single unit. And the Spirit who empowers you and gives you also connects you with one another. Some of the teaching of the Holy Spirit at this point is misled at best and, and way wrong at worst because they tend to, tend to focus on self. It's almost what's in it for me. What is my spiritual superpower? It's all my, it's all, it can, sometimes I know I had those thoughts when I was a younger person. So either the idea of spiritual gifts wasn't explained to me properly or I just wanted it to be something else. But I was looking for, for out for me. It, and you use it for you and ultimately you use it for your own glory. 
And ultimately that disconnects you with the body. Because as a body, our goal is to be obedient to Christ, to make disciples, to see his will happen and to move in step with him. But if as a body, each of us are competing and, and sort of desiring gifts for our own glory, for our own purpose, our own blessing, all of a sudden the body falls apart. It all falls apart. Now the Holy Spirit is, is using the gifts that you have to connect you to the body of Christ, but not to set you apart or above. And, and so some of us might go, but, but my spiritual gift is way cooler than your spiritual gift. You might have those thoughts. Now, but Paul, like, he, he paints such a vivid, vivid image here, countering this idea. And we pick this up in verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, do I not belong to the body? It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, not only would it be really, really weird, where would the sense of hearing be? Imagine if if the whole body was an eye. Imagine if your own body was a whole eye and something got in it. What are you going to do? We can't blink. They're eyelids. We're only an eye. We've got no, we've got no eyelids. We've got no hands. We've got nothing. But there's no other hands. We're all eyes. So, so, but the thing is, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He has wanted them to be. Now again, If we go back to some basic principles here, do we trust that God knows what he's doing? Okay, that's good. I've got a few 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 good yeses there. Um, A lot of absent yeses, so just putting a bit of pressure on the other people now. But like, yeah, if we trust what God is doing, so do you trust that God has gifted you in the right way? Okay, so, so if God is calling you to something, what's your reason for saying no? Oh, you, you yourself are scared? Like, in reality, like, like it's, it's, it can only be a bad reason for saying no. If God knows what he's doing, he's put you in a certain place, he's put certain gifts, he's surrounded you with people with, with, I suppose, complementing gifts to actually achieve something as the body of Christ. The only reason that we have to say no are never good ones. Like, you cannot stand before God and go, hey, I finally got a good reason for saying no to you. Like, don't even try. Don't spend time doing that because it's just a waste of time. Um, disobedience, yep. Yeah. Um, so isn't that great that basically God has placed us exactly where he wants us to be? But as I said, some of us may not be happy being where the Holy Spirit has placed us. And what I've found in talking to people that want to be want to be somewhere else or want to be used in a different way is that the problem is they want to be somebody else. They don't want to be who God has made them to be. Um, he made you you, and thank God that he did do that. Okay, pick up in verse 19. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. How crazy would that be if we were all an eye? Because we'd actually be able to see the problems and have no ability to do anything about it. 
That would be the worst thing in the world. When you see a problem and go, I can't, can't fix it, I can't address it, I can't, I can't give them a cuddle in that situation because all we are is an eye. We need the body of Christ. Verse 22. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. Can I say this in a different way? On the contrary, those people in the church who don't seem to have it all together, we need them. We desperately need them. And the parts that make us real uncomfortable once in a while, those people who say something that makes us cringe, haven't learned the right Christianese yet, those that don't act quite right, we actually need to treat treat with special honour. Because we know that they are learning and we know that that's why we are here. And that's why we should desire and hope and expect to have unbelievers around us in this place. Now some of you might sort of straight away go, but Pastor Keith, do we really want that type of person here? Because how can I put it delicately? They, They are a sinner. And my response would be, well, one more won't hurt. And if you're wondering who I'm looking at, it's you. So like, um, one more won't hurt and they'll come and they'll grow in God's grace. See, those parts that are unpresentable, we treat them with special modesty. Why? Because we are going to protect them. Because they are our future. They represent what God wants us to be doing. Now, stepping back, now the long-term solid Christian people shouldn't need any special treatment at all, but too often the church doesn't work that way. No amens there? Too often it can work out this way. The long-term Christian person demands more attention to have more of their needs met, more of the focus because they have been there longer. Have you ever heard someone say, I've been at this church for so long, I, I demand I have, I have more right to say something? I've, I've heard it in places and, and some people are like born into a church and they, they rack up their 70 years and they think that's what gives them more of a voice in a church. But when you think about it, in life, the ones who cry and demand attention, the ones that demand that their needs be met with no sense of patience, are often found in a cot. Aren't they? A baby will cry and cry and cry because it wants to be fed. It wants to be cuddled. It wants to play. It wants to be fed. It wants its nappy changed. And it has no, doesn't care what you're doing at all, it'll keep demanding, demanding, demanding. Now, is that what we want to be as mature Christians? Do we want to be in that place? Now, Paul is saying the total opposite in this chapter. He's saying that as, as spiritually sort of mature people, we don't actually need the special attention that some of these less mature, those people in greater need, they need our grace. They need to be welcomed in. They need to be important to us, but we need to protect them and, and, and cover them. Now, picking up in verse 24, but God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that they should have, there should be no division in the body, but that his parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. 
Can you hear Paul? what Paul is saying here? He is speaking directly to you. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you are a part of it. He doesn't say you need a special membership. He doesn't say you need to rack up 10 years in a church before you can do anything. He doesn't say you need to be this old or this young. There is no sort of qualifying comment other than the blood of Christ that brings us into his body. Verse 28. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Now, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And from there he goes into chapter 13, the love chapter. See, we keep clamoring for the cool gifts, and God may not have given you that. Or how do you decide if your, your gift is a cool gift? You might go, well, I've got the gift of martyrdom. Now, martyrdom basically means I'm, I'm willing and ready to die for Jesus. You only get to use that one once, though. It's not one that you get to use a lot. Um, and so, but I suppose it'd be a cool gift. The truth of it is, as we try and grade and rank things, that God in no way grades or ranks. We actually try and put a hierarchy into place saying this is how gifts should be seen and we actually come up with our own level of importance that we give. You're more important because you've got that gift and you're less important. But God doesn't do that. So why should we? He doesn't view one person's gift as more important than someone else's. Look at it. You are gifted by God. That's our first point. You are connected to God's people. And thirdly, and you need to understand this, you are vital to God's work. Do you, do you understand that concept? Because the thing is, a lot of people go, oh, you can't use me. I can't volunteer for that. I'm whatever ever other excuse. But you need to understand that you are gifted by God. You are connected to the body of Christ, but you are vital to God's work. I don't care what your gifting is or where you are going to use it. If you are doing it at the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, you are vital to God's work. Now, if I ask you to rank the most important roles in the church, I reckon that most of you would probably get it wrong. Like, the thing is, when we come to church, like most weeks, the lawn's mowed and the church looks welcoming to people coming. It sets the tone for anyone who is new walking into that church. Now, if the grass is like this high, people might be worried a tiger might jump out and grab them. And they go, I'm not sure I'm going there. They might be going, is, is church actually, is this church still functioning? Like the lawn hasn't been mowed in 17 months. Like um, I'm not sure I want to go there. So you see, even that job, even though it's a physical job, it becomes a spiritual one because it sets a tone for people who are walking in the door. The greeter at the door should be one of the most important people in the church because they set the tone. As someone walks in, they go, hey, it is great to see you. It's fantastic to have you here. As, as they welcome people into our church, introduce them to others and connect them in because if the people who walk in for the first time are so uncomfortable that by the time they reach their seats, they're already freaking out, they don't hear anything in worship. They don't hear anything in the ser- sermon. So the greeter is actually a huge spiritual role. 
I remember um, Pastor Jimmy Johnson, uh, he was an American pastor, Southern uh, Wesleyan pastor. He shared an idea around this many years ago. And he said, your greeters need to be the sharpest people in your church. And he went, he went on to say, any dull person can serve on your board. And then he said, why do you think they're called board meetings? But he said, your greeters need to be sharp because your greeters are always going to be meeting that person. They're always going to be meeting that person who may not have been for a few weeks and they're sort of going, oh, what's it going to be like as I go in? And, and if you've got those people who are just going, hey, I'm so glad that you are here and make them so welcome, it becomes so many important. There are, there are so many unseen or unnoticed roles at our church that are highly important from our sound. I think the only time you really notice sound is when it goes wrong. But you don't notice when it's going right all the time to our, those who help out in our kitchen, who help us achieve what God is doing in us. Now, the thing is, this is what I could do for you this morning. We could remove the people that are helping out in the kitchen and we could skip morning tea together and I could spiritually give you more bread of God by preaching for an extra 30 or 60 minutes. I can do that. Now, the thing is, I think that would be counterproductive to what God is doing overall. Because God not only uses this time, he actually uses that time to build community, to welcome people in, for people to share their stories, to people to, to pray together, to grieve together. And so that time out there is actually highly important to the life of our church. And so without those people that are just getting bickies and tea ready, we actually lose something significant for our church. And so this is what I'm saying. The most important roles in our church are not always what we expect. So you see how foolish it can be to rank and grade, and it is totally unnecessary because God has put on every one of us and put every one of us in a certain place. Now, I told you I was going to um, give you like an overarching way to unpack this. Look at everything Paul has listed here, going back in, in chapter 12. Apostles, prophets, teachers, and miracles, and gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. And early in the chapter, he also lists wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, prophecy, uh, to distinguishing between spirits, speaking and interpreting tongues. All these different things he lists here, and, and we go, what, what have I got? What, how do I find my gift? Well, yeah, you do need to do that, but let me give you context with which to look for them. This is not a practice of going out to find your gift singular. No one person has all the spiritual gifts and no one gift is given to all people. It just doesn't work that way. We are given a mix of gifts that work together in us so that we can achieve as a group of people, the body of Christ, what God has laid out for us to get done. It's not just one gift that we find and we do for the rest of our lives and almost sort of go on cruise control. We are, there are multiple gifts given to each of us. The priority of those gifts and how they play out in our lives will also change in our lives. So if you sit down and do a, a spiritual gifts test and you'll notice on the bottom of your note, there's a website you can go check out. If you've done one and you go, oh yeah, I did one 50 years ago, I'm all good. I reckon there's a few things that have changed in your life since that time, if it was that long. I reckon if you've done, uh, like even especially the year that we've had, if you did a spiritual gifts test 12 months ago, you might find my life has changed a bit even in that 12 months. 
And so it's important to actually reflect, go through that process. And so if you haven't done one recently, I'd encourage you, grab your notes, jump online, check it out. Even feel free to come and have a conversation with me about it and how that may even be used in the life of the church. You might find the same gifts might be present, but what God is trying to do around you may be different, more nuanced. And so God brings out one gift more and more and lessens another to achieve, achieve his purpose. It could be God has brought people into a church who are really strong in a particular area, and so this lets God move you to some other gift in a more focused way. Then you, the use of our gifts is done in a, is not done in a predetermined way. There, and so now, as I look at this, I, I did my first one when I was a teenager, from what I can remember. I I hope I have grown and changed over that time. But I know that my situation has definitely changed. I've gone from being a single sort of teenager to a single young adult to a slightly older single adult to getting married, to having kids, to moving, to being pastors in different churches where some of my gifts were needed more in different ways. I've spent time working with youth. I've spent time working with um, not so much youth. Um, I, I've, I've spent time... So, yeah, those who are laughing, their hearing aids were up. So others, others who didn't hear it, like, turn your hearing aids up. Um, but, uh, but the thing is, what we have is that God changes our situation and God, God is not static. God is dynamic and he wants us to be the same. So, now, for those of you who haven't done a test in a while, go and do it. For those who have never done a test and not really sure, like even some of this stuff has gone way over your head, spiritual gifts, like like do you, do you get them just at Christmas time? When do you get them? Birthdays? When do they happen? The thing is I encourage you to do one. And this is a good thing. This is one test you can't fail. For those who struggle doing tests, you can't fail this one. Um, and remember, the answers you got last time may not be the same as this time, but that's okay. Um you can you change and our church changes and the, the Spirit will equip us as he sees fit. Just jumping back to verse 6 and 7 of, of 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now that being said, you may have used your gift in one area for the past year or the past 20 years. But it may change next year, and that is okay, because our Christian lives are meant to be dynamic, and the Spirit will move each one of us to achieve the common good. Not our good, not what we want, not our plan, but His common good, His plan He's wanting us to achieve. Now, if we can ever learn to function in the Spirit's power by the, by the gifting the Spirit has given us, um, there is a statement at the bottom of the notes. I'm just going to read out now. If God, God's people truly understood God's gifts and lived them out in love, our world would be ridiculously different. Now, let me just qualify a couple of those words. It would be so different, the world that we look around and, and the world that we kind of tolerate, if we understood God's gifts and used them in love, our world would be so different it would be ridiculous in how it's changed. Can you, can you imagine, like, I think at times most of us have this expectation that the world is going to get worse. It's just how fast it's going to get worse. 
This is saying something opposite to that. It's saying that if we can grab onto the Holy Spirit, if we understand that, and we understand that the giftings He's given us as individuals and how that we work together in doing that, all of a sudden we can live them out in love and there can be such a great change in our world that it is going to seem crazy how quickly it has changed. And don't tell me that it won't happen. There have been plenty of times in history where the revivals have grabbed a hold of a few people and the Spirit has moved through them and all of a sudden it has flooded nations. Flooded nations. And all of a sudden we think the same God that worked back then can't work now. God is that big. God is the same God. God hasn't forgotten how to do revivals. God has not forgotten how to change people's hearts. I think the church has forgotten where its place needs to be in that. I think the church is either forgotten or unwilling or we're basically following the same steps that the world follows around us. It's about me, 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 and we wonder why there's no change, change, change. If God's people truly understood God's gift and lived them out in love, our world would be ridiculously different. Is that a desire of your heart? This is what God has called us to, to live out our gifts he has given us in a world he has placed us in, in the circle of the world that he has placed you in. Are you using the gifts that God has given you in your small sphere? God may not be calling you to save Rockhampton. He may not be calling you to save Australia. He may not be calling you to save the world, but you may be in a circle of people that God is saying, hey, you need to be using your gifts in that circle to bring about glory for me. And there is no excuse that you can have that God will accept. It's just us saying no. If we live out the gifts he has given us in the world, that he has placed us in, in the moments that he has asked us to, so that we can make an an absolute ridiculous difference for him. I'd love to see another revival. I think it would freak me out a bit. I think it would freak me out a lot, actually, like um, to see people just transforming their lives. I remember stories of when I was doing my Wesleyan history as part of my studies to be a pastor and the fact that Wesley's preaching, dynamic preaching and and movement across the, the country of England was so profound that pubs went broke. And like, you imagine pubs in Australia no longer being like a a valid sort of thing to do because people didn't go to pubs anymore to drink beer, to get drunk, to forget about their problems in life because all of a sudden they're going, you know what, I've got Jesus. I don't need to go there to drown my sorrows anymore. I don't need to be that. And so these pubs all of a sudden, they'd have to do some really good meals. Otherwise, people wouldn't be coming there at all. Are we will, willing to be that, that next generation that will to let God work through us in such a way? I pray that we are because I would love to see God moving in that way. But it starts with us. us like It starts with the understanding that the Spirit has gifted us, we are connected with one another, but that we are vital to God's work. Each one of you are vital to God's work. And if you, if you don't believe that, then it's sort of like that becomes the, the hurdle that you need to get over to begin with. Otherwise, you will always say no. You'll always step back. You'll always ignore God's calling on you, thinking, oh, I can't do this. God doesn't need me. 
God can find someone else. He needs each one of us to sort of make the difference in our world that will be so ridiculous that we can't imagine it. Let me just pray. Lord, I thank you that you have called the church to go out and change the world. But in saying that, you have equipped the church to do that. You have not called us to anything that you will not provide the empowering, the changing, the gifting to see it happen. But Lord, I I do pray today for those who are, are sitting here that they would understand that they are vitally important to that work. I pray for those who are absent today that they would also understand that they are important to seeing God work through them to be able to make a difference. Lord, it's not about having faith in ourselves; It's about having faith in you. And I pray that you would increase our faith that all of a sudden we believe in your work in us so that we are willing to serve you in whichever way you call us, knowing that you will prepare and equip us to achieve the work that which you have called us to. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.